Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, good morning. I hope you're well. It's great to be together, isn't it? And it's great for me to be back uh, here at King's Church. As Phil said, I've, I've seen, uh, seen King's Church change a lot uh, from the Living Waters days. Any of you were around in the Living Waters days? Oh, yeah, the faithful Living Waters few. And uh, I've seen it grow and great things happen. So um, it's really, really great to be back here. Phil and I, uh, we had some coffee last night. And Phil was just telling me all about the uh, great things that have been happening and God at work. And I was so encouraged. I, I went to bed last night and I thought, really, I just want to hear Phil preach this morning. And I'll just sit down and you preach. Because I was so encouraged by the things that Phil was uh, sharing last night. Uh, as Phil said, uh, my name's Steve. And um, I, I grew up in Cornwall. I'm a Cornishman. I don't know if any of you have been to Cornwall before. Put your hand up if you've been to Cornwall. Any Cornwall visitors? Yeah, okay, you've, been, you've traveled down there. That's where I grew up, uh, surrounded by the ocean, uh, on a steady diet of pasties and, uh, and clotted cream. So um, Cornishmen don't live long, but we live happy. That's the main thing. And uh, I got saved when I was a, a young man. My dad was a pastor. So when your dad's a pastor, you... You, you, you got no choice. You got to go to church. You got to, you get dragged along the church every Sunday. And so I grew up in the church world and uh, got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was a teenager. And then when I was 20 years old, I gave up my job. I worked in uh, Boots the Chemist for, for a few years. I was a number seven girl in there. Uh, no, I was, uh, I was in Boots. I wasn't a number seven girl. I was uh, on the photo counter. Do you remember the old days where you used to take these things called photographs? Do you remember them? Now, some of you young people won't know what these are. We used to, uh, we used to put this stuff called film into a, a thing called a camera, right? I know, it's amazing, isn't it? And then when you take in your photographs, you would take it to a store, and, and you're, you'd have to get your photographs developed by somebody. Everyone under 20's like got no idea what, what I'm talking about. And so I worked there for a few years developing photographs. And then when I, when I was 20 years old, I, I gave that up and I started traveling in, in full-time music ministry. And I was young and skinny and had hair. And I started traveling uh, all over the country and just sharing the gospel through music. And one of the things I said to God was, I said to God, God, I will never be a pastor. How many of you know that's a bad thing to pray to God? I will never, whatever. God, I will never go on a missions trip. I will never go overseas. Uh, don't ever say never to God because God loves a challenge. He loves a challenge. And I remember saying, God, I'll, you know, my dad was a pastor. I, I don't want to be a pastor. Uh, pastors are boring. I want to be a musician because musicians are cool, you know. I'd never be a pastor. And anyway, uh, 15 years ago, I became associate pastor at a church. And then, as Phil said, just recently took on a senior pastor role in a new church. So... God's got greater things in store for us than we could ever imagine or think. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to talk for a few minutes this morning um, about a, a theme that's really close to my heart. And it's the theme of restoration. Restoration. 
how God can take broken, messed up people and through his love and his grace at work in our lives, he can restore us and make us what we're supposed to be. I, uh, as I've traveled around this nation and many other nations, I've met a lot of Christians who feel bad about themselves. You know, it's easy to be a Christian on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, isn't it? I mean, this is the easiest place in the world to be a Christian. Because we all love each other. The band's here rocking out for Jesus, you know. And... Uh, Pastor Phil gets up and says, come on, let's worship. And we all go, yeah, okay, you know, and we're, in, we're encouraging each other and we're loving each other. And it's easy to be a Christian at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. But what about 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning? Or 2 o'clock Thursday afternoon? When the pressures of life get to you and when you realize that there are issues in your life that still need dealing with. I've been a Christian since I was 11 and I'm 44 now. And there are still issues in my life that need dealing with. Anybody else? See, one of the things that happens in church life is that we're really good at acting. We're really good at it. Uh, every year they give out the Academy Awards, don't they? In Hollywood, right? To the best actors and actresses in the world. And they get it wrong every year. Because if you want to find the best actors and actresses in the world, don't go to Hollywood, go to church. Because we got it down. We know how to act better than anyone in the world. Because you get up on Sunday morning, you've had the worst week of your life, you're not sure which way is up, which way is down, you're, you're arguing with your spouse in the car on the way to church, you've got your hands around the throat of a child that you love, telling them to behave themselves, maybe you've even come to church and there's been days you're not even sure if God's real. And then you walk through the magic doors of the church and someone says, well, praise the Lord, Brother Jim, how are you? Well, hallelujah, Brother Fred. <laughs> hallelujah, great, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, I'm wonderful, are you great? Yeah, I'm great too, hallelujah. Got the victory? Oh, got the victory, yeah. You're acting, right? Because there's this great fear we have as Christians. We're afraid to be really known. We're afraid to just open up our hearts and lives to each other and go, take a look at the real me. Because we're afraid if people see the real us that they'll push us away. That fear is really a symptom of modern life. Because it wasn't that long ago where we didn't throw things away, we fixed them. Not that long ago. Um, when I was a kid, how many of you remember the TV repairman? Remember a TV repairman? See, not that long ago, if your TV went a bit wrong, you phoned the TV repairman. Your TV was about four foot thick, wasn't it? And the TV repair guy came around in his little van and took the back off your TV and fixed it, made it work again. What do you do now if your TV goes wrong? Throw it away, right? You get, you know, there aren't any TV repairmen anymore. 
We just, oh, the TV went wrong, we throw it away, and we just get another model, we get another one. So we live in this disposable society that says if something's broken, you just throw it away and you get a replacement. And I think that causes fear to rise up in our lives. That if we're broken, if we're damaged, then God must just kick us into touch. He's done with us and he'll just get somebody else. But that's not the God of the Bible. Oh, good news for you this morning. The God of the Bible is into fixing us, repairing us, healing us, restoring us, putting us back together again better than ever before. Luke chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there. And we're going to look at one of the stories that Jesus told. And uh, it's my favorite story that Jesus told. He told, some, he told some cracking stories, didn't he, Jesus? Great stories. We call them parables. And uh, Luke chapter 15, he tells the story of the, the prodigal son. And many of you will be aware of the story of the prodigal son. But it's a great story of restoration, And I just want us to pull a few principles out of that this morning and then just see how they apply to our own lives. Is that okay? Whenever you read the stories that Jesus told, you should always put yourself in the story. Ask yourself, which which part of the story is me? Which character is me? Luke chapter 15 Verse 11, he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Isn't that just a great story? I never get tired of that story. 
because I need that story for me. Now, in every church, there's a few perfect people. You know who you are. People who have absolutely figured it all out. Their lives are together. They never sin. They never get it wrong. They never mess up. They are completely whole and ready for heaven. If that's you, you can go now. And then there's the rest of us, including me, who, even if you've been following Jesus a long time, you still have a few issues. You still have those moments you go, Lord, What about this issue in my life? What about this lack of trust? What about this anger? Where does that come from? Why am I so frustrated all the time? How come I, one day I'm up, the next day I'm down? What about lust? What about uh, materialism? Why do I look for other things to satisfy me? Does any of that sound familiar to anybody? Well, then you and I need to know, know what it is to be restored. The first thing we find in this story is that there's a son who thinks the answer to life is somewhere else. The life is out there somewhere. I've just got to go find it. Have you ever found that in your own life? You think life is somewhere else. It's never where you are. Because where you are is too ordinary. Where you are is too normal. And everyone else seems to be having some amazing life compared to your ordinary normal one. You ever felt that before? Have you ever been going through Instagram? I don't know if any of you do a bit of Instagramming or Facebooking. Have you ever been going through other people's photos and their lives seem so much more exciting than your ordinary boring life? Everyone else has just the, the perfect photos, the perfect moments, the perfect holidays. Everyone else got the perfect job except you. Yours is just boring, ordinary, and normal. I think if we're not careful, we fall for the idea that life is out there somewhere. It's never at home. It's never in the ordinary things of life. It's never in simple church services and simple meals with our family and simple friendships and simple life and simple love. It's always somewhere else. And we go on these journeys, don't we? Looking for life, trying to find it trying to find the things that will satisfy us, trying to find the things that will make us whole and complete. And we know from the story that this prodigal son, for a while, it works. Can I say that you can do life without God and for a while it will work? For a while. I mean, you can just go and do life your way if you want to and you can make it work for a while, but it's just an illusion. It's just an illusion because you and I weren't made to do life without God. We were made to do life with God. Have you ever been flying and, um, and hit some turbulence? Uh, I've flown a lot, I mean, hundreds of times, but I still don't like turbulence. Why did God invent turbulence? And... Uh, I don't know if any of you do this. Uh, if, if I'm flying and I hit turbulence, I hold on to the seat a bit tighter. Anybody else? Because that'll help, won't it? I mean, I'll just hold the plane in the air myself. This surely is making a difference. 
My wife doesn't do that. In fact, we were flying to America last year, and we were right over the middle of the Atlantic, and we hit some really heavy turbulence. So I'm, I'm panicking. You know, I mean, that'll worrying will surely fix it, right? If I worry enough, the plane won't fall out of the air. So I'm worrying and holding on to my seat and, you know, sweating. I look at my wife. She's eating her meal and watching the movie. And so I start getting mad at my wife. Well, why aren't you worrying as well? Look, can't you see? We're bumping around. She's got soup going everywhere and just watching the movie. You see, I think that by me worrying, by me trying to hold it all together, somehow I can keep things moving across the Atlantic. I can hold the plane in the air, right? And some of you are the same. I'll I'll just keep life working. I'll just worry a bit more. I'll just hold it together. I'll just stress. I'll just, I'll plow on ahead. I'll make life work. It's just an illusion. You can't make life work any more than I can hold a plane in the air. Finally, Eventually, this uh, prodigal, he finds that his illusion's not working. The money runs out. His friends leave. A famine hits. You ever notice things always go wrong at the same time in your life? Like the car breaks down at the same week as the washing machine. It all goes wrong at the same time in this guy's life. And it's at that moment that restoration begins. I want to share four things with you this morning uh, that hopefully might help you. The first one is this, that for restoration to happen, God has to bring us to our senses. We've got to come to our senses. At this moment, in a pigsty, the prodigal son finally wakes up, finally realizes that what is going on? This isn't who I am. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. We've got to come to our senses for, in order for God to really restore us. You've got to be fully, fully yielded, fully broken. I am, um, several years ago, I walked into my music room. I've got a small music room at home. And uh, I walked in there, and I picked up one of my guitars, and I started playing it, but it started making all these funny sounds, kind of buzzing and twanging, and it was out of tune. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tune it up, and it, it just won't, it won't get, it won't tune up. And uh, so I started examining the guitar, and I looked at the back of the guitar neck, and there was a big crack right around, a horseshoe-shaped crack around the guitar neck. And I think one of my children had run into the room, maybe knocked it off its stand. They say they didn't, but I'm not sure. And they'd put it back on the stand and run out, you know. And, uh, but there was this big crack in the neck. So uh, I thought, what am I going to do? I've got to try and fix this guitar. And so I went to the fount of all knowledge, Google. And I Googled, this is the truth. How to fix a broken neck. (laughs) And I got all these medical websites. So then I put how to fix a broken guitar neck. And I found a website of a guy who said, I will walk you through the steps of fixing a broken guitar neck. You you can do it. We can do it. But 
here are the steps. And he had photos and, uh, and instructions. So he said, step number one, you have to finish the break. He said, if you really want it to be fixed, you can't get glue down in that crack. It's got to be fully broken. And so I stood in my music room for about 45 minutes trying to get the courage to fully break my guitar neck. Now, all the musicians, your buttocks just clenched a little bit tighter, didn't they? At that thought, be honest. And I suddenly got the conviction that this needed to happen. And I, pop, snapped the guitar neck. So now I've got a really broken guitar. But that's the start of restoration. In order to be fully restored, you've got to be fully broken. Sometimes you need the snap of the pain of your choices that brings you to your senses. You've got to come to the end of yourself. You See, what we do is we spend all of our life running from pain, but you need the pain. You need that moment on your knees in tears, however long it lasts. You need to pull the car over into the lay-by and lose it for a five minutes and fall apart. You need the pain. You've got to stop medicating the pain if you want to be restored. See, some of you, that's what you're doing. You're medicating the pain. That's why you go shopping again for another pair of shoes. And listen, I love shoes and all that, but so I'm not criticizing, don't, you know, don't go somewhere. But for some of you, that's all it is, it's medication. You go to a wardrobe, you open your wardrobe, it's full of stuff, and you go, I've got nothing to wear. And so you just go and find something else to try and medicate the pain. That's why some of you look at porn. Can I just be real? Is it okay to be real in church? And you think it's, it's about lust. It's not, got nothing to do with lust. That's a secondary issue. It's, you're medicating the pain. You've got to let the pain in. And I don't know what the source of pain was in your life. I don't know what it is, what was said to you, what was done to you, whether you were dropped on your head as a baby. I don't know what happened. Whatever the pain is in life, you just gotta, you got to feel it. Sometimes the pain is your own foolish choices. You went looking for life and found that it's not out there. You've got to let the pain and you've got to feel the snap. So anyway, I've got two pieces of guitar. I want you to imagine that on that day, you had decided to take a trip to Bollington in Cheshire and you were walking through my village where I live. And you just happened at that moment to be walking by my house. And you just happened to look in the window while I was there and you saw some bald-headed guy snap his guitar in two. You would make certain assumptions about me in that moment, wouldn't you? You'd probably think, what an idiot. What an angry guy. What's he just done that for? He's just taken a beautiful instrument. He must, don't like that guy. You'd, and you would, you would completely misinterpret what actually was going on, wouldn't you? Sometimes we do that with God. Right in the middle of our pain, right in the middle of our brokenness, we go, man, if God loved me, why am I here in this pigsty? 
If God loved me, why is he, why is he letting me be here? If God loved me, why is this going on in my life? If God loves me, why is, that, why is that going on in my life? And we start accusing God of things that God's not the author of. This, this prodigal son's not in the pigsty because his father put him there. He's in a pigsty because he put himself there. Anyway, I got some really good wood glue. Followed the instructions. I got some clamps from B&Q. And I followed the instructions. We glued the neck, clamped it up. That guitar is perfect now. It's good as new. We refinished the neck. Totally fixed. And I was talking to a guy who knows about woodwork. And he said to me, listen, let me tell you about that fixed joint. He said, that fixed glued joint will be stronger than the wood around it now. A proper repair is actually stronger than the surrounding wood. Isn't that a great illustration? See, when God starts to put us back together again the way we're supposed to be, the fixed places of our lives become the strongest places of our lives. And I want to say something over your life today. It might be broken today, but when God's through with you, it'll be the strongest part of your life. God's got to bring us to our senses. I feel the pain. The prodigal son is given a vision of something greater. In the pigsty, he says to himself, what am I doing here? This isn't where I belong. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be with my, with my father in his house. You know, if, if you want to move forward into a greater future, you've got to have a greater vision of tomorrow. In fact, when you lose your vision of tomorrow, that's when you start to really lose hope. When you lose the idea that you can be a better you tomorrow than you are today, that's when you lose hope. The good news about the gospel is this, that there will always be a better version of you tomorrow in Christ, because there's always another step to take. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, the Bible says, that grows brighter and brighter until the noon day. In other words, your journey through life with God will always involve you going from glory to glory, from, from brighter to brighter to brighter. There's always going to be a better version of you. You think you're pretty good stuff now? You wait. You're going to be even more amazing. It might be hard to see it today for some of you. Because even in this environment, there can be parts of your soul that just feel like you're still stuck in a pigsty. But I want you to listen to me. That's not what you were created for. You were created for something better. I was uh, flying to, um, <clears throat> to Ireland And uh, I got to the airport in Manchester really early, and there was no, no queue at the check-in desk. That's always nice, isn't it? I was the first one there. I just poodled up there with my guitar and, and my suitcase and uh, said, I'm going to, to Ireland. And I got talking to the guy behind the counter, and he said, okay, Mr. Parsons, we, we sorted you out. He said, now listen, you've got a, a code on your, your boarding pass. Do you know what that is? I said, no. He said, it's, uh, it's a fast track. Do you know what fast track is? 
Those of you, any of you flying through He said, what that means is, he says, uh, you don't have to queue with all the ordinary people. You're special. He says, you can go to the front of the queue. He said, in fact, uh, when you go through security, don't, you, you don't even have to queue with everyone through security. You can, he said, don't go through the left door. Go through the right door. And, uh, and you'll go all the way around, bypass the queue, get to the front of the queue, get through security. I thought, that's great. Don't go through the left door. Go through the right door. I must remember this. So anyway, I'm a bit dim. And uh, I forgot. And so instead of going through the right door, I went through the left door. And I found myself at the back of a 45-minute queue through security. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'll just go back. But they wouldn't let me go back. There was a really stern lady there. looked like she ate 19 Weetabix for breakfast. And she said, you can't go back. You've got to go this way. And so I'm now stuck at the back of a queue. And every so often, somebody would go through the right door. And I would watch them as they journeyed to the front of my queue and went through security. And I thought, man, that's supposed to be me. What am I doing here? I'm supposed to be there. Some of you know that feeling. Because... You've looked at your life and you've said for years, I'm going to really get my prayer life together. And every so often you've seen somebody else, they get saved. And it's like God fast tracks them. And they get their prayer life together and they're full of life and full of faith. And you still can't even quite get there yet. And you think, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be there. Or you see somebody else get really serious about God's word. I mean, that, that's just another pet subject for me as a, as a pastor and as a traveling preacher. It, it bothers me how many Christians don't read the Bible consistently. And see, some of you have said to yourself, I'm going to really get serious with God's word this year. January the 1st. I'm going to really read the Bible every day. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, whatever. And you get to January the 9th. And you sort of let it slip a bit. You get to March. And you haven't even made it past Exodus. And every so often you see somebody else get a hold of God's word. And they seem to bypass you. And you look at them, you go, man, that's where I'm supposed to be. You've got to have a vision of something greater. Or else you're just going to get stuck. See, sometimes our brokenness is not a heinous sin. Sometimes it's just the fact that we're not paying attention to what God really wants to do in us. And we end up stuck in places we're never supposed to be. I, um, <clears throat> several years ago, my cousin was a chorister, choir boy, uh, and he passed several auditions in London, and he became a part of the Queen's Royal Choir. That's Her Majesty, not the rock band. And uh, the Queen has got this, you know, uh, in, the, in, the in the Royal Chapel, 
in St. James's Palace, uh, there is a, there's a, a Queen's Choir. Um, and my cousin was fortunate enough to be part of that, which was a good deal because it meant that the Queen paid for all of his education through to college, um, and he got privately educated and all that stuff, which is nice, isn't it? And so one day, uh, our family, I was living in Cornwall at the time, and we got invited to go to London, um, and they decided that any sort of close family of the choir boys could go to this service at St. James's Palace in the Royal Chapel. So we went along. And uh, so, you know, we got dressed up in our best gear, you know, as good as we could make it, you know, got the old shirt and tie on. And uh, off we went to, to London and we got to St. James's Palace and we had a security pass which let us, you know, go into the palace. And in the grounds of the palace, there's the Royal Chapel. So uh, we got met by this kind of butler dude. <clears throat> I don't think he was a butler, but he was some sort of official sounding bloke. And he said, ah, the Parsons family. <clears throat> we said, oh, yes, boy, indeed we are. <laughs> He said, right, he said, we've got, a, uh, we've got a space for you in the strangers gallery. <laughs> in the Royal Chapel, there is a, 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 a box high up in the a gallery called the strangers gallery. That's kind of seeker sensitive, isn't it? Any visitors today, if you'd like to sit in the strangers section over, the, over there. So anyway, it was good. It had a good view. We were up there looking down on the service, and it was a very kind of high church formal uh, service, but you know, it was fun, we enjoyed it, and at the end, we had a little talk as a family, and we decided that, uh, you know, before we went back to Cornwall, we'd just grab some lunch, so we said, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just go cheap, we'll just find a Burger King, you know, that's always good, isn't it, Burger King for a bit of cheap lunch, no, okay, a bit of cheap lunch. So we come out of uh, the Royal Chapel and we're going to turn left and go to Burger King and we got met by the official butler dude again. And he said, ah, will you be joining us in the palace for lunch? We said, indeed we shall, yes. (laughs) And so uh, instead of turning left and going to Burger King, we turned right and went into the palace Uh, for this kind of banquet, this kind of reception, uh, lunch kind of thing. And so it was great. You know, we hung out there with all the dukes and duchesses and lords and ladies and whatever else they were. And uh, and we had a great time and ate some really good food and, and really enjoyed ourselves. Listen, we had an invitation to a royal banquet and we nearly went to Burger King. That's called stupid. In other words, we hadn't fully appreciated what we'd actually been invited to. And some of you haven't got the revelation yet either. You haven't fully appreciated just what you've been invited to. You're invited to a royal banquet every day of your life. You're invited to a royal table every day of your life. You're invited to sit with the king of kings every day of your life. To feed on his word every day of your life. So why is it we run to the burger kings of this world for something cheap and cheerful to fill the spaces in our lives when we've got this incredible offer? Come to the table. Come to the table. 
He's got to get a bigger vision of tomorrow. See, some of you think that, great, we're here on church today, it's Sunday, and I'm, I'm, I'll hurry up. It, it, it's great, but you know, tomorrow we're back to just normal life. Who said Monday has to be normal? You can go to the royal palace on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, every day. The third thing I want to say quickly from this story is that as the prodigal decides it's time to go home, he's embraced by grace. Don't you just love that the father comes running to meet him and throws his arms around him and embraces him? Isn't that awesome? And in that moment, the father doesn't get his spreadsheet out and say, now let's just sit down, son, and do a review of what you've spent and where the money's gone and how much of a mess you've made and how you're going to pay it back. See, I mean, so many Christians, that's their idea of God. That God's all about the, like he's like a heavenly accountant. How many sins have you committed this week? I've been keeping track with a spreadsheet with your name on it. And now you're coming back to me and, you know, how are you going to sort this out? Thank God it's already been sorted out. Amen. It got sorted out 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross. Man, God embraces us with grace. Oh, how good news that is for me. I hope it's good news for you. He embraces us with grace. I love the fact that God, when we come to him, he, his arms are always open wide. Always open wide. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Whether, you, whether you've got some vague notion that something's wrong between you and God, whether you can put your finger on specific things that you know it's time to be restored from. But in a moment, we're going to pray. And when we pray... God's going to embrace you with his grace. He's not going to kick you in the touch. He's going to embrace you. While we're talking about grace, though, let me say this. Not only does God embrace us with grace, but it's time that as brothers and sisters, we learned to embrace each other with grace too. Churches should be places where we know how to embrace each other with grace. Too often they're not. Too often we move so quickly to judgment. We move so quickly to judgment. Did you hear what she did? Did you hear what he said? Well, I can't believe that that happened. And, and when we start judging each other, the response becomes what we talked about at the beginning. We start to act because we have to act. Because I know if I show you who I really am, you're going to judge me. So I better just pretend that I'm okay and you're okay and we're all okay. But if we can learn to really show grace to one another, right down in, the, in your boots kind of grace, then there's no need to act anymore. We can just love each other. The final thing. Is everybody okay? Final thing. is that he clothes us with truth. 
This is so important when it comes to restoration in our lives. See, the father, sure, he clothes him with a robe and he puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. And all of those have got symbolic meaning. We haven't got time to go into that this morning. But then he starts to speak over his son. This is my son. Some of you need to hear those words again today. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You belong to him. Not based on your track record, but based on who he is. This is my son who was lost, but is now found, who was dead, but is now alive. See, God's not interested in what you were, only in what you are now. You were something, but now you're something else. He starts to speak the truth over him, starts to clothe him with truth, starts to declare over his life who he is. That's why you need to read the Bible. You don't need to read the Bible so that you can tick it off the list and go, aren't I a really good Christian because I read my Bible again today. You need to read the Bible because it tells you who you are. This is who you are. This is what God says about you. Not what the world says about you. Not what somebody else says about you. Not what your circumstances say about you. What God says about you. Every day you need to pick up this book and start to read it and dress yourself, clothe yourself in the truth. I was talking in my church last Sunday and uh, I'd been to a few too many meetings where I'd heard members of my congregation pray, Lord, we know we're just sinners saved by grace. We're just sinners saved by grace. And I stood up in church last week and I said, look, I know what you mean when you pray that. I get it. And I guess if any one of us here this morning prayed, Lord, we know we're just sinners saved by grace. We all know what we mean. But that's not the whole truth about you. In fact, when Paul writes to the church in more than one place, when he writes to the churches, he never writes to the sinners in Corinth who are saved by grace. To the sinners in Ephesus. Do you know he writes to the saints? He writes to those who are in Christ. And whenever he talks about the church or Christians being sinners, he always talks about it in the past. He says, and such were some of you. You know, you were liars, you were cheaters, you were adulterers. That's what you were. But you are now alive in Christ. You're a new creation. The old's gone. The new's come. Listen, you are not just a sinner saved by grace. That's not what you are. See, some of you, are, you're even harder on yourself than that. You leave church and you go home. And it might be this afternoon or it might be tomorrow. It might be the day after. But you say things about yourself all the time. I'm just rubbish. I'm just rubbish. I'm just nothing. I'm useless. Just a worm. The world would be better off without me. 
Don't know why God puts up with me. Can you imagine that God sent his son who then suffered and died on a cross, bore our sin, bore our iniquity, paid the price, ransomed us with his blood, rose victorious, ascended into heaven where he's the king of kings, lord of lords, saved you, seated you with him in heavenly places. How does God feel when you say, man, I'm just a rubbish sinner? It's not who you are. It's what you were. It's what you were. You need to get out of bed tomorrow morning. Here's what you need to do. You need to get out of bed tomorrow morning and you need to look in the mirror when you're brushing the teeth. Actually, finish brushing your teeth. Then look in the mirror and say, good morning, righteousness of God. Because that's what the Bible says you are. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The band are going to come. We're going to pray. But you've got to get the revelation of restoration in your life. You've got to get the revelation in your life. When I, uh, when I started to understand that I was righteous, everything else started to change in me. If you want to see things change outside of you, they have to change in you first. Because you'll live up to who you think you are. In fact, when, uh, when the Pharisees come to question John the Baptist, do you remember what they said? They said, they start asking John, who are you? And then they said these words, these are profound words. What do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? And he answers this. He answers by quoting the Bible. Well, the Old Testament. He says, I am, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. See, John had a revelation. He knew something. What do you say about yourself? He says, I am what the Bible says I am. I am what the word of God says I am. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.